Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. What an awesome story. Um, Man, I love hearing people's stories about how Jesus has changed and transformed and revolutionized their lives. To me, that, that just never gets old. It's incredible. And I mean, I've watched Todd's story a few times this week, and uh, it's every time. It's just awesome. It's amazing what God can do in our lives. Uh, if you guys don't know Todd, uh, you'll probably see him kicking around here a lot. He's one of the uh, board members here at our church. He's an awesome dude. He was sharing at our celebration lunch. Um, I got to, <clears throat> Talcy and I got to go spend a few weeks with him uh, all over Africa a few years ago, and uh, it was an awesome trip, lots of fun stories. I had kind of made a personal commitment to his wife while we were there, because uh, if might have been harder to tell in the video, but Todd is a very light-skinned man with light red hair, and so I committed to her to remind him to put his sunscreen on like at least seven times a day. Um, and uh, so he came back pretty sunburn-free, so I'd say that I've been a pretty significant part of his story. So <laughs> anyways, you guys, stories are amazing. Stories are all around us. Stories are you know, such a part of our lives and who we are. I mean, you watch movies, you watch TV shows, you read books, you know, it's, it's just stories. It's, you know, it's always this protagonist who's, you know, there's some conflict and they're fighting towards this end and they, they're victorious in the end. The protagonist kind of comes out on top and, you know, a lot of the stories we watch and read and stuff are very similar in the ways that they're written, but we love stories. We're so engrossed in them. Uh, you know, and it goes beyond that, like even in our own lives, uh, you know, like social media, it's, it's so story-driven nowadays. A few years ago, Snapchat started using stories, and you could add stuff to your story, share stuff on your story. Uh, quickly after Instagram and Facebook ripped off the idea because it was going well, and, you know, people are like so wrapped up in sharing the stories of what's going on on a daily basis in their lives, and people just eat it up like crazy, like all the important stuff, you know, like, hey, I'm eating this piece of pizza, you know, I just pet this cat, you know. I'm bored, going on a road trip, whatever, you know? All the really important details that we need to know. And our lives essentially are, uh, you know, just made up of a series of stories. It's actually interesting, just a few days ago, like literally this past week, I was on my phone and this ad popped up for Instagram, this video commercial, and it closed off at the end with this screen with a link and it said, share your stories. And I was like, no way, they like totally ripped off our sermon idea here at FBC. So I'm gonna probably try to sue Instagram, but... You know, we're so wrapped up in that. We talk to people. We ask them, you know, how was your day? You know, you, know, you know, what were you up to? Or, you know, kids, what did you learn at school? Tell me about work, things like that. And really what we're asking for, essentially, are, are them to tell us the stories of what happened. What made you happy? What did people say? What went on? You know, what, what, what kinds of things were you doing? And our lives are just made up of a series of a bunch of stories. When you think back in your life and you think about what you've been through and who you are and stuff like that, you think in terms of just all these stories that have happened that kind of come together and make up the life that you live. We believe that the God of the Bible is is all about story as well. We believe that he has been writing a story since the beginning of time, and he continues to write a story and will continue writing his story for all eternity. 
And this story is this epic to end all epics. It's this grand narrative of redemption and reconciliation and ultimately eternal hope. His love infused with, with his created humans it is just this amazing story of love, and he continues to write it. And what happens, the way that he does this is he intersects people's lives and he transforms their lives. He starts relationship with them, and he creates unique individual stories in, 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 throughout history in thousands, millions, billions. I don't know how many lives where he comes up, he comes, he shows up, intersects with their life, transforms them, and writes this amazing story in their lives. And everyone has their own unique story of that that has chosen to become a follower of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have this story where God showed up and he, he transformed you, he reconciled you, he gave you hope, he redeemed you. And his story, his grand narrative, is basically just a collection of all these stories. You know, this series of all of our stories that come together. And when you, when you let God write that story in your life, what's really happening is you're becoming part of his larger story that spans throughout all time and will go on for all eternity. Your story is an essential and important piece of, of God's eternal story. And, and that's pretty cool to think about. But I think one of the saddest things, such a travesty, is that we so often just keep our stories secret. You know, think about it. When's the last time you really shared your story about how you came to know Jesus, about how he's revolutionized your life with, with people around you, whether it's people who know Jesus or not? And we don't do that very often. We keep it a secret. We don't, we don't go out and we don't share that very often. And, and to me, that's really sad because it's really the most significant thing God is doing in your life. And that's why we decided to do this series. And it's a really short series. It's two weeks. I think that's as short as a series can be because I think if it was one week, we probably couldn't call it a series. So it's a very short series. And uh, what we're hoping to do, I, I don't know if we're going to be teaching anything too groundbreaking or mind-blowing, uh, but we want to just encourage and compel you guys to take the story that God's writ written in your life and is continuing to write in your life and actually use it, actually share it. Make it so people around you know that story because we think that's really important. So uh, I'll give you a quick overview of what's going to happen. Uh, each week, we're going to get to watch a cool video like that. Those will probably be up on our YouTube channel as well sometime if you want to watch it again. We'll watch a cool video like that. Uh, again, to do uh, this morning, we're going to hopefully try to encourage you guys towards the significance of sharing your story, offer a little bit of teaching, and then I'm going to conclude with just sharing my story with you guys. And lots of you know parts of my story, but I'm going to share it with you. And then next week, Doug's going to uh, come and speak a bit, and then he's going to share his story with you guys as well. <clears throat> And uh, the, the, probably the most significant thing is that on my week, uh, contrary to Doug's week, is today after service, you're also going to get donuts, okay? So uh, just remember who gave you donuts, okay? If you've been at FBC for a while, you know that our mission here is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That means that someone has to start a relationship with Jesus Christ, and then it grows. That seems pretty obvious. We have these banners that are always floating above our heads here. And we have these four points that we think make up a really cohesive strategy for how we can do that, how we can accomplish that mission. And one of them is this idea of thinking out, engaging with the world around you. And one of the greatest ways and kind of the greatest drives to engage with the world around us is for people to ultimately, one way or another, experience the love of God in their lives, to experience the life-changing, transforming, incredible love and grace and mercy of God in their lives. But it's hard for people to do that because a lot of people don't even know that we've experienced that. 
our stories are secret, and a lot of people, the places they work at, the schools they go to, the people they know, maybe even family and friends, don't even know that they're followers of Jesus, let alone their story of how they became one. And to me, that's really sad. You know, we've bought into this lie that the world offers us that somehow it makes sense to keep it a secret that we're followers of Jesus. We've bought into this lie that it, somehow it makes sense or it makes, you know, there's some reason why we should keep it quiet that Jesus has transformed our lives. It's like we're part of like a secret society for Jesus or we're like spies for Jesus and we wait till like someone like crosses over and they like become part of the club and they're like, okay, now that you're here, I just want to let you know me too. You know, all these years you've known me, that's part of my life. That's crazy. To me, that's for the person coming to know Jesus, almost borderline offensive that we would keep it a secret like that. And I think there are a lot of reasons we do this and I don't know if we could cover all of them. I think a lot of us are insecure. We're, we're, we're afraid. And some of the fears are legitimate. We think it might impact our relationships. Probably will. Might impact your job security or job status. Good chance it might. Might impact what people think of you. It definitely will. But these fears, I don't think, compare to the importance of people knowing Jesus Christ. And I think in Canada, one of the biggest fears we have is just this fear of offending people or, or making unco- creating uncomfortable situations. We're so polite in Canada in the 21st century, almost, almost to like a sickening degree, you know, like someone bumps into you in line or something and you turn around and you're like, oh, I'm so sorry, you know, I'm sorry that I was just standing here doing nothing and that your body collided into mine. Or, you know, this, to me, this is like the classic example of the, the over-politeness of Canadians. I like to call it the Canadian standoff, and I'm sure some of you can relate to this. This happens to me when I'm driving. I'm driving towards a four-way stop, and I see a car coming from the right. You know, we're both going, we're both about the same distance, going about the same speed, and in most parts of the world, you know, I would speed up, get to the stop sign, and get out of there, stop before them and get out of there. But in Canada... It's like, oh, i got to start slowing down. If I start slowing down enough and get slow enough, I can inch up to the stop sign and stop after they stop so that they can go first. I, I wouldn't want to like, be you know, rude and go first, right? So what you do, you start slowing down, but then you see they start slowing down too, and they're, they, they, know, they know what this is about too. You know, they're like throwing an anchor out the window, just trying to like, get as closely there as they can. You're going like one kilometer per year, inching through the intersection. You've like passed the crosswalk. There are pedestrians like, you know, that you've hit on the way through. And you like, finally, you both screech that stop at at the last second. And you're both like almost bumper to bumper. And then what happens? The hands go up. Yep, come on. You go, go, go. And you're both like, you're having this waving battle. It's like, just go. And And you get home. You're like, you're like enraged. Like, you wouldn't believe this idiot. They made me go first. They decided to let me go. This... Who gives driver's license out to these morons, you know? When really, we'd save everyone a little bit of time and trouble if we just go to the stop sign and go. I think it's good that Canadians are known for being polite and considerate. But we live in a world where people get offended about everything. And that's just kind of the reality. And I don't think that's totally new. I think maybe we're just doing a better job of getting offended nowadays than we have in the past. But I don't think it's totally new. And I think we approach the gospel kind of like we approach the stop sign. There's just like, well, you know, this might get awkward or uncomfortable. I don't want to make someone feel uncomfortable by, you know, speaking up and sharing the truth. I don't, I don't want to offend anyone. But it's so different to how Jesus and the disciples in the Bible approach the gospel. They first and foremost knew their calling was to be honest and forthcoming with the message of hope that Jesus brought into the world. And it brought hope to a lot of people's lives. And some people were just offended because they chose to be offended by the message. 
And we kind of have to, like, at some point become okay with that. You've heard this saying, maybe, uh, people attribute it to St. Francis of Assisi, and he didn't say it, but you've heard the saying, maybe, where it says, you know, go into all the world and preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Now, I appreciate some of what that expression is saying. It's saying, you know, your actions should show the love of Jesus, and I agree with that. But the statement doesn't make sense. It, it should say, go into all the world and preach the gospel, and because it's necessary, use words. At some point, you're going to have to speak. Yeah, we should be kind and loving people. Our actions should back up the message of the gospel that we're saying with our words. But, you know, I can't mow my neighbor's lawn enough times for them and be nice to them, bake them cookies enough time for them to wake up one morning, look at the fresh plate of cookies, look at their freshly mown lawn and mowed lawn, mown, I don't know, mowed lawn and say, oh my goodness, I get it. Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world. And if I just accept that and repent, then I can have eternal hope in him. That doesn't happen. Mowing the lawn is a great opportunity for me to show him the love of Jesus. But if I never speak, read Romans 10. You know, it's, it says, you know, how can people know if people don't say stuff? It's necessary to speak up and to use some words. We should be kind. We shouldn't look to offend people. But we've got to say something. We've kept our stories silent for too long. and I think we've got to cut that out. I think as Christians, we often, you know, think about how the world views us as Christians. You know, we look on social media and stuff, and we think the world has a certain view and stereotypes of Christians. And I think a lot of times, sometimes some of that's true. I think a lot of times Christians have this perception that the world views Christians in certain ways that the world probably doesn't. I think the world is probably less concerned with who we are than we sometimes think they are. But a lot of times I think they're like, oh, people don't like Christians. People don't like people who like talk about Jesus and stuff like that. I will tell you what I know and can guarantee you that people don't like. People don't like unauthentic people. Whether you're a Christian or not, people don't like people who aren't authentic. And how much more unauthentic can you be than to believe the teachings of Jesus? That as a follower of Jesus, it is your main calling in life to go and represent him, tell people about him, and draw people to him. That's one of your main callings in life. And how can you believe Jesus' teachings that there's an eternity in store for everyone? And for some people, that's eternal hope in a place called heaven, a paradise, perfection. And for others, that's a place of sorrow and torment called hell. How can you believe those teachings, keep that a secret, and be any more unauthentic than that? I mean, if you believe that, and you don't open up your mouth and share with people out of care and concern for their future and their eternity? I don't know how, like, I mean, if people know that we really believe that and we're keeping that a secret, I mean, we've got to be some of the most ingenuine people in the world. It's crazy. I think for us, a lot of times, we think that we just need to, like, make the message of Jesus, take the teachings of Jesus, make it a little bit more palatable. You know, Jesus talks about heaven and hell, so come to church, and we talk about heaven, and you know that other place, like downstairs. You know, we don't want to say it, you know, and I'm not saying we should be offering turn or burn messages to people and scaring them, but we should just be real about what we believe. I think, this, this is what I think, and I want you guys to take this home with you. I believe that we need to, as a church, stop apologizing to others for the things Jesus taught and start apologizing to Jesus for not telling others the things he taught. Rather than trying to take the message of Jesus and change it in a way that makes sense to people, believing that the God who created the universe knows how his creation ticks and knows the message that they need to hear. We're trying to fit a message of reconciliation and hope into a world that the Bible says is inherently broken and sinful. This message isn't called to fit into that. 
This message is to call people from that and offer them eternal hope. And I think we need to stop apologizing for that. Again, I think we should be reasonable people. But I think reason, being reasonable in this context with what we believe is sharing our stories sometimes. Yet we often don't. I believe that one of the most, you know, one of the greatest ways we can be authentic as Christians is to try to share Jesus' love with other people. That's why if you weren't here during our prayer series, we have these prayer guides that have some space where you can, you can get one at the info center, by the way, but space where you can be praying for people that you hope experience the love of Jesus Christ. What greater way could you show love and concern for others if you believe the teachings of the Bible than to be earnestly and passionately trying to help them experience the love of Jesus, even if that's just by praying for them? So I I could talk about sharing the gospel and evangelism and thinking out for all year, and we could talk about it every Sunday. It's something that I'm pretty passionate about, but at some point I need to kind of get to the main thrust of the series, and that's the idea of sharing your story. We believe that your story is one of the most effective tools you have to think out and share the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ with other people. People can get around and argue about beliefs and argue about ideas and argue about eternity and and the Bible and stuff like that. It is pretty hard to, to hear a story like that from someone like Todd where he says, God changed my life and his love is alive and active in my life. Being part of a church community, reading the Bible, knowing Jesus has changed my life, it's pretty hard to argue with that. And it's one of the most effective ways you can draw people into what you've experienced in Jesus. If you're a Christian, the Bible says that you were dead in your sin. You were lost and you were blind because of your sin. And Jesus transformed you and he revolutionized your life. And I think we so often take that for granted. It's easy to forget just how lost and blind we were before Jesus saved us. And I think it's easy to, not even, to also, not, beyond that, not recognize where we might be now if Jesus wouldn't have intersected our lives there. I mean, I've got tons of issues and struggles still. Imagine if God's love hadn't filled my life. Man, it's hard to imagine, actually. I think we take it for granted. If you look around this room, you see these like weird, like half-cylindrical-shaped things all over the walls. And maybe for some of you, you've thought that back in the 80s or 70s or 1800s or whenever they built this building, that was the cool architectural design what it was is this room used to like bounce sound all over the place. It's called sound baffles, and these are to minimize that. And we installed some at camp a bit too. And I know sometimes people have opinions on the music's too loud or too quiet or this or whatever, you know, we're not perfect here. But years ago, some people installed these to try to increase the sound quality and make things a little bit more listenable in here. And I was talking to one of the guys who helped install these a while ago, and he said, I think sometimes people forget how bad it was before these things were on the wall. You know, like some Sunday, I should, we should just take them all off. We can enjoy a Sunday of music with sound bouncing all over the place and then put them back up and everyone will be like, oh, right, that's how good it is. And I think that's one of the important things about remembering to reflect on your story of how Jesus has changed your life is it's easy to forget how big that transformation was. It's easy to forget what things were like and take it for granted. For me, I've, I've been a Christian for a long time, and sometimes I just take that for granted And then when I think back to what Jesus saved me from, it blows my mind every time. And I hope that this series will encourage you to spend time in your stories and not take for granted where things used to be in your life and to not take for granted how far Jesus has brought you. Maybe you're here and you've shared your story with people before. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you haven't done it very much. Maybe you've done it lots. Wherever you're at, 
main thrust of this story is to, or this series is to share your stories. We believe that one of the most effective ways you can worship God and think out and reach people with the message of God's love and hope is by sharing your story. And not even just with non-Christians, with other Christians. I love hearing Todd's story. It encourages me to share my story more. It makes me reflect on how amazing Jesus is. So in your small groups and stuff like that, share your stories with each other. Ask to hear each other's stories. Share bits of them at work. This week, I want to just give a little bit of teaching, just a few minutes of teaching on what I believe it should look like, to, how you should prepare your story, how you, what your story should be, and then Doug's going to, like, how to put it together, and next week, Doug's going to talk about how to maybe make use of it and put it into practice. Um, and, and there are, you can, like, Google how to write my testimony or story or whatever, and you'll find lots of models and ideas and stuff like that, and, and lots of them are great, and we're not offering a specific model. I just want to offer a few elements that I think are really important in regards to your personal, unique story that you have with how Jesus Christ has transformed your life. So if you are, are taking app notes or using the bulletin, there's some fill-in-the-blanks here or whatever. Love for you to take these home because uh, I am going to give you a little bit of homework. So first of all, your story should be ready. So 1 Peter 3.15, Doug preached on this passage about a year ago in our First Peter series. It says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Always be prepared. Always. Uh, there's been this experience sometimes at the church where, you know, we've asked someone, you know, at youth or some other place to share their testimony or their story or something. And, you know, sometimes, you know, it, you know, it's the night of youth or something, and Darren will say, hey, can you share your story tonight? And a lot of times what people say is, I'm not ready, you know, I need to write it out and stuff like that. And, and I get that before you get on stage, it's nice to have a bit of time to wrap your head around that and stuff like that. But we should always always be ready to share the story of how Jesus has transformed our lives. If that's not prepared and second nature in us, imagine in a real situation, imagine you're at work and someone's actually asking you questions about that. And you're like, oh, I don't know, I need to go home and like write it for a few weeks. I'll come back. And always be prepared. I loved it. Two, two weeks ago, my dad uh, was in town and he came to youth at the start with me and Darren asked him at like quarter after five or something, youth starts at 5.30, he said, Hey, Pat, that's my dad's name. He said, Pat, will you share your story tonight? Will you, will you talk? And my dad said, yeah, for sure, I'd love to. My dad got up and, and killed it, talked for, and now my dad's like one of my greatest heroes of the faith, but talked for like 20 minutes, told people about Jesus, how Jesus has changed his life. It was awesome. And I know my dad was a pastor and, and all that for years, so people say, well, he's a pastor, he has lots of practice, but there's no reason why we can't all have that same amount of practice sharing our story. You're allowed to talk about it. You're allowed to practice. Uh, this passage says, to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And I think next week, Doug's going to be talking a little bit more about not even just waiting for people to ask for you to share your story, but finding ways to interject that story into conversations, even bits of it. This, this week, I want to give you guys just a little bit of homework. You can write these down, or if you're using the FBC app notes, they're, they're in there, so you can just have that. But first of all, I want you to go home and write your story down. Just write your story out or type it out or point form notes or whatever. Prepare it. Your story should be ready. If it's not ready, it's basically kind of useless. As you do it, worship God for what he's done. Your story should include a bit about who you were before you knew Jesus, how you met Jesus, and what Jesus has done in your life since you met him. And their second bit of homework is to practice. Practice sharing your story. As human beings, every single one of us in this room, we share this common trait, and that's that we're all really bad at stuff the first time that we try it, okay? 
So I don't know if you've like been watching someone play like a game on their phone and they're stuck on this hard level, they've been playing it for months, and you've never tried it, but you know, we all get this like, well, man, that looks easy, I could do that, give me your phone. And we all have this like glorious picture on our first try, we're going to like dominate it and be like, yeah, and we're just bad because, you know, you take it, you're like, oh, I died right away. You know, we do this with like sports. It's like, oh, that looks easy. Or, you know, people are like, yeah, I tried playing guitar, but I was really bad at it. It's like, well, how long did you try for? Like two days. It's like, well, no wonder you're bad at it. You tried for two days. Try for 30 years, you know? <laughs> like, we are bad at stuff. So practice sharing your story. Share it with your friends. Share it with your family. Share it in your small groups. Take some time doing that. It's going to be rough when you try to share it with other people. It's going to be awkward. It's going to be uncomfortable. So you might as well practice it. Share it. Practice with yourself. And maybe it sounds weird to talk to yourself, but I will tell you something about me. Uh, if you enjoy the preaching that I offer here at FBC at all, which I hope you do at least a little bit, um, I want you to know that it is largely, or a lot of times largely, the result of me just having out loud conversations with myself, like either in here during the week or in the back room or while I'm driving and stuff like that. And just verbalizing things out loud is a really effective way to practice. Anyways, go home, get your story ready, Right, I can't emphasize how much, uh, much more that your story should be ready, okay? Get your story ready. If your story's not ready, it's useless. Okay, your story should be authentic. Uh, and I'm going to blast through these last two pretty quickly. You should be filled with such a deep love and concern for other people that haven't experienced the life-changing love of Jesus Christ, that don't have eternal hope in him, that you are passionately looking for opportunities to share your story, that you are just trying to reach. When you share your story, it's not because you need to say your story. It's not for any other reason, but that you just want this person, person to experience the incredible things that you've experienced. Also means you need to be open and vulnerable. Don't make your story work out in a way that it makes you sound good. Be honest about your struggles. Be honest about the fact that you have issues. You know, we're not trying to paint this picture of perfection that people would never be able to live up to if they accepted Jesus. And I really think you need, your story needs to be authentic in the sense that when you share your story, it's great if people come to know Jesus as a result, but that's not even really the point for us to share our story. We should be authentic in our obedience to Jesus Christ. We should share our story first and foremost because Jesus instructs us to tell people about him. As a result, some people might come to know him, and that's amazing. Some people might get offended. Some people might hate you. You might lose friends. Jesus said that would happen, and I mean it happened to him. So worst case, you're in the same boat as Jesus. And the third thing that your story should be in, this one's like really deep. I had to like dig through like Greek and Hebrew texts for this, but your story should be Jesus-y, okay? Um, I really debated if that should be a Y or an IE at the end there. And actually, Talisi and I were kind of talking about this. I was like, ah, yeah, I'm kind of thinking about Jesus-y for my third point. And we didn't have like an argument. We had a debate, I guess. And she's like, well, what about like, and she's offering other suggestions and I actually was like tempted to put like a survey monkey survey in the app notes to see like if you're on Team Ryan or Team Talisi with this, but figured that was a little childish. So even for me, um, this seems straightforward that your story should be Jesusy, but I can't tell you how many times I've heard people's stories that seem like they are more of a glorification of sin, of the person's own sinful actions, than they are of what Jesus has done in their lives. I think it's good to include the brokenness, some of the stories that are interesting of, of what you've done. And when my dad shared his story here two weeks ago, he, he told the youth about how he used to be involved in the drug trade and spent time in prison. But his story wasn't half an hour of him just talking about, you know, all these really rough and tough bad things he did while he was in jail and selling drugs and stuff like that. Those were just a setup 
to the main point of glorifying Jesus. Your story isn't about glorifying you. It's not about glorifying how bad you were. Jesus transforms lives. So often I hear people do this, not only through their story, but, but when they talk about stories, like, oh, that person has such an amazing testimony because of what they went through. No one has an amazing testimony because of what they went through. People have an amazing story because the God who created the universe saw you while you were a sinner, came down to earth in flesh and died for you, and as a result brought you from death to eternal life. That is an amazing story. I don't care how big your sins are. I think a lot of times people who grew up in, grew up in the church, they often say, oh, you know, my story's boring. Your story is not, your story's only boring if you haven't actually met Jesus. If you've met the creator of the universe and he revolutionized your life, there's no story that can compare with that. Your story's unique. It's yours. And it should be Jesus-y. It should clearly point people towards the loving grace and mercy and hope that's offered only in Jesus Christ. People should walk away from your story thinking, I should follow Jesus if I were to take that story seriously. I hope that you guys will take the homework seriously, get your story ready, and look for ways to share it. And Doug's going to talk about that next week, even bits of it. It's not like you have to write out a 10-minute monologue, and if someone's like, hey, you know, so do you go to church? You're like, okay, just wait 10 minutes of like reading the story of your life. But be familiar with it enough to like be ready to share moments of it authentically in a very Jesus-honoring way with people. I'm going to share my story with you guys. Lots of you maybe know lots of it or elements of it or whatever, but I'm going to offer you my story this morning. I don't really have any notes or anything. I just want to share with you guys from my heart, and then next week you get to hear uh, Doug's story. <clears throat> so my story for me, uh, when I think about it, uh, there's kind of a... Bible story, a parable that Jesus teaches at the end of Matthew 7 that, that I kind of, um, I guess, resonate with in regards to my story. Jesus tells a story of these uh, two builders, what he calls a wise builder and a foolish builder. And what's going on is he, he, there's this wise builder who builds his house on this solid rock foundation, and it's safe and secure, and storms come, and the house stays strong, no need for insurance claims or anything, because his house is good and it's intact. Then there's this foolish builder who, you know, rather than being concerned with his house being structurally sound or staying strong through the storms, what, what he focuses on is he focuses on having sweet beachfront realty. So he builds his house on a sand foundation, you know, outside of like zoning laws, you know, people are like, this is unsafe. He's like, I don't care. This is a sweet location for my house. What happens for him is when storms come, his house gets destroyed. So he got to enjoy this nice location for a bit. But then, ultimately, he was a homeless dude because he was foolish in the ways that he built. And my life, I really feel like my experience with Jesus is a transition from being this foolish builder to being this wise builder. And not, I don't say that to be like, hey, I'm really wise, but I feel like Jesus has worked in my life in a way that's transitioned me from the one character he describes to the other character. When I was born, my dad was a pastor. I grew up in the church. I didn't say I grew up going to church. I really grew up in the church. Like, sometimes I'd be like, am I at church or at home? Like, I can't tell the difference between the two because we're always here. Um, and, you know, we, um, we were at church all the time. I went to Sunday school, youth group. Uh, I had to go to Christian school and stuff like that. And to be honest, I hated it. I just thought it was boring. I wasn't against it or anything. I just thought it was boring. And I looked at people like my dad, my parents, who were amazing, loving Christian parents. I looked at adults in the church or even teenagers in the church who were always talking about Jesus and passionate about Jesus. And I was just like, these guys are so lame and so boring. I hope I never turn out to be like them, which is really ironic. 
And I, I just couldn't stand it. I just wasn't into it. So I just kind of went through the motions, was there, whatever. We moved to Calgary at the start of grade seven. Well, I was in grade seven. And uh, I went to a new Christian school, and something pretty interesting happened. I, I grew up in a really uh, sheltered upbringing, so uh, I, I think I had some misconceptions about how God worked. And I, I think I thought that if you were to, like, sin or be really bad, God might just, like, lightning bolt you and be done with you. And at my school, some of the kids in this new school, they, they would, like, swear, which to me was like, oh, my goodness, that's crazy. You know, these people are, like, swearing, and they're still alive. Like, what's going on here? And that sounds crazy, but that was really my perception. There's this big turning point that happened in my life in grade seven, and it seems really silly when I talk about it, but I started swearing, okay? And the thing about that is, it's not that that was really that bad, it's just that it kind of was this turning point in my life where I realized I can sin and like do stuff my parents said I shouldn't do, and I'm still alive, and people don't know, and if I'm quiet enough about it, I can get away with it. This is a big turning point in my life throughout the following years of junior high and a bunch of high school. I basically just started trying anything that came my way. A lot of people think about pastor's kids or Christians as having these rebellious phases when they're teenagers, and I don't really think I had a rebellious phase. I just had a, I was an insecure junior high kid with no real purpose in life. I was just apathetic about what I tried. Some people would offer me alcohol or drugs or things like that. I got into that, started partying, started stealing, started looking at pornography, breaking commandments with girls, uh, stealing, uh, all kinds of stuff. Grade 10, things got really bad, and I was hanging out with a really bad crowd, and I got, um, I got, before the end of the year, they'd end up bringing the cops into the school, um, and I kind of got in charge, and then I got kicked out of school, and then grade 11, I had to homeschool because I was in too much trouble, and then I got arrested again, and my life was basically on lockdown. I was grounded a lot of the times. So I was allowed to like, leave the house to do community service and stuff like that, which was, uh, in some ways, fun, because otherwise I was stuck at home a lot. Uh, throughout that time, I had these amazing people in my life, youth pastors, youth leaders, uh, my parents, a bunch of friends who were, that, that didn't give up on me. And I love how Todd was talking about how God pursued him for so long, and I feel like God just really pursued me through these people. And um, <clears throat> one of the most significant people is actually Barry, who's playing music this morning, so it's kind of, he's one of the main reasons I'm here, so if you're mad at him about that, you can have some words with him, but... Um, I remember these people kept pouring into me, and um, I, I hit this point the summer after grade 11 where I was just, I just felt so lost and done with life. I was just like, man, like, my life is such a mess. And I just realized I was going nowhere, and I didn't have hope, and I didn't have purpose, and I didn't have meaning, and I started to realize, I wish I had some of that. And I saw that other people had that. I got so desperate, I was so not into Christianity anything, but I got so desperate that I decided to say to God, all right, you know what, I'm going to try reading some of the Bible, and if you're real, show up. I want to experience you. And so I, I grabbed a Bible, and I didn't know where to start reading. I had this friend named Lisa who uh, loved Jesus a lot, and she, she, um, she had, had been talking about this book of the Bible called Ecclesiastes. One thing that blew my mind was, you know, I'm like 16, 17 years old, grew up in the church and all this stuff. Pastor's kid, I didn't know anything about the Bible. So I just was like, I didn't know where to start reading. If you're not a Christian here this morning, Ecclesiastes is not where I'm recommending that you start reading the Bible. I grabbed this Bible, and I just remembered she said that. So I opened it to the table of contents, found this weird word that I didn't know how to spell, opened to it, and I started reading it. It starts out, it says, meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. 
which point I stopped and checked the cover. I was like, this is the Bible? I thought it was like rainbows and unicorns and Jesus is happy and Jesus holding the little baby lamb thing, you know. Started reading it and read through the book, started reading it again, and it was crazy. God showed up in a crazy way and just revealed to me how meaningless and empty my life was without him. Showed me that I was the foolish builder who had built my, built my life on a sand foundation that just couldn't stand up through life storms. I had seen time and time again how it was destroyed and torn down by life storms, and I had no hope through the things that I was facing. And he offered me meaning and hope in him. And I decided to surrender my life to him and give him control and build my life on this solid rock foundation. See, in the parable, Jesus says that the, the wise builder is one who, who's, like he builds his house on solid rock foundation, is like someone who takes Jesus' teachings for real, takes the teachings of the God of the universe and builds their life on them. And I knew I wanted a foundation like that. And it's changed my life. Life storms still come. But now I have hope and meaning and eternal purpose and joy and satisfaction in who Jesus is. God's changed me from being a really angry, unhappy, purposeless person to someone who experiences joy and love, has learned how to be compassionate and generous. And that's nothing to do with me. That's all by the work of God working in my life. And I know that I have eternal hope, and it's been amazing how I've not only experienced God's love, but been able to share that with others. There's nothing more life-changing than that. We're going to wrap up right away, but I, just kind of upon sharing my story, I want to really quickly say, if you're here this morning and you've never decided to become a follower of Jesus, if your life is built on the sound foundation, if you haven't built your life on the teachings of Jesus Christ, if you haven't found eternal hope and satisfaction in him, I'd love to talk to you about that. I'd love to pray with you to start that journey. It's the most amazing decision you can ever make. Let God start writing a story in your life this morning. I'm just going to hang out up here this morning. Don't feel weird or awkward, but just come talk to me and say, hey, I have some questions about that. We can argue about it. We can pray together. Whatever you want, I'd love to share that with you. For everybody else, man, you have an incredible story about how God's transformed your life. It's time to stop keeping that a secret. Think about all these incredible stories in this room and the impact they could have on our community around us. And Doug's going to be talking to us next week about how we can start making use of that better. Anyways, I want to pray for you guys, and then we're going to eat some donuts and have an awesome week. God, thank you so much that you love us. Thank you that you've transformed my life, and thank you that you are working in the lives of so many people in our church community here. Just use us, God. Use our stories to change the world around us. Help us be available to be, to, to, to be your mouthpiece to the world around us, God. Help us be available to do your work. We love you so much, Jesus. Amen. Have an awesome week, guys. We'll see you next Sunday.